Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News, alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. Justin, how are we doing? We're getting down to the home stretch here, Jake. Only two weeks left in the regular season. So this is where we separate those uh, those seasoned reporters from the... I wanted to say the men from the boys, but I couldn't I couldn't come up with a better phrase. <laughs> well, hey, at least, at least you stopped yourself. Um, good to be back with you again, man. Um, I, the first thing I wanted to ask before we get into the whole, what we're going to talk about today and, and the season award kind of themed thing, I want to ask you if for the ECHL, if there's any media voted awards or anything of that sort. Yeah. The media has a say in all of the league awards. Now I, I don't know the exact numbers, like how they weight it, but yes, the yeah. media votes, coaches general managers sort of like media relations and league staff so i do get a ballot how much media around the league gets a ballot i don't know it's not a great amount so how much of our voices is incorporated i I don't really know but yeah we we do get to vote along with everybody else interesting okay yeah see i never knew that so any just before we get into that stuff any story like when did you first get the ballot when did that kind of happen who approached you uh, well, I usually get it through the team. They leave it to the teams to determine who gets their votes, including media. So, oh, I so see. Okay. In, in Fort Wayne, you know, a vote probably goes to me, probably to the media relations uh, person and probably the coach and general manager. But in other cities, it could be very different. You know, not all cities have the media press. Hot dog vendor gets one. Well, you never know. <laughs> uh, you know, it could go to a, a you know, a, just members of the staff could be somebody in marketing. You know, they do leave it to the teams themselves. But, you know, my feeling is they're mostly going with what the coaches and the GMs say here. And, uh, you know, a lot of times they give uh, a little bit more weight to guys that are NHL prospects, sort of like they do with the All-Star game. You know, that's my impression of it. Uh, but I don't know. I think a lot a lot of ballots have come out where I've been pretty surprised at, at who got picked. So that's why I like to stick with my ballot. Should we get into your ballot? Yes, yes. Uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I wanted to talk about, you know, just some awards that, you know, I felt strongly about. Don't get into all of the league awards, but the big ones and, and you know, the, the big one that I wanted to start with was coach of the year, because I think that speaks volumes about who's doing a good job and also what teams to watch. So for coach of the year, what's your criteria? Because I think in the NHL, for instance, it's kind of become this thing where there's like that unspoken rule of, okay, pretty recent coach probably brought the team from not in the playoffs to the playoffs or some sort of regular season point jump. What's your kind of baseline for, for the ECHL? Well, so this is one of those awards that I tend to disagree because I put a lot of weight in a team that has improved a bunch. You know, they don't necessarily have to be the best team in the league or even the best team in the division or frankly even make the playoffs, though it's it's pretty tough to justify yeah. a non-playoff team. But there are a lot of things that you need to look at at this level. You know, sometimes the um, job description of a coach isn't so much winning games as developing prospects. So do we keep that in mind? Uh, what about a team that just does well year after year? I mean, you could look at the Florida Everblades and Jason Ralph and say, wow, they're consistently good. Uh, but do I give him uh, a little bit of a knock because they came in as the defending champs or with a, a stacked roster? Right. So 
I, I evaluate a lot of things. I think that you need to have success. I would like to see some improvement from your team. Maybe you've dealt with injuries, a lot of outside factors. How tough was your schedule? There's a lot of different factors. But what about up. teams that are like juggernauts throughout the year? Do you do you like di- dilute you know the share that they would get in a vote because they're so good, or does that help their case? I, I have definitely knocked a coach before. I mean, there has been some years where I've looked at, for instance, the Toledo lineup and said, "Wow, they're just stacked from top to bottom. They're getting right. a ton of help from the Grand Rapids Griffins and Detroit Red Wings." I don't know that his job coaching is as good as what's being done in Wheeling where they don't have the talent and don't have the infrastructure. So me personally, I definitely do keep that stuff in mind. But what I've noticed is at this level, they definitely give the most credence to winning. Just how how much did you win that season? We don't care what your talent level was. We don't care how you came in last season. Just did you win a lot of games? So I guess I'm in the middle of that. Let's start with the first coach that you have on your ballot. Number three, Jason Payne of the Cincinnati Cyclones. Yeah, I, th- I figured we would work backwards. So yeah. from the second runner-up. Number one. Champion, uh, Jason Payne of the Cincinnati Cyclones done a wonderful job. Um, they've had some of the most incredible stretches of winning hockey in ECHL history this season. We've seen them um, you know, really jostle for position with the Toledo Walleye. But right now... With two weeks left, it looks like the Cyclones are going to win the Central Division Championship. That might be the toughest division in the league. And Jason Payne's done a great job uh, behind that. They've played their best hockey down the stretch. They've won nine of their last 10 games. So I do think that's important. To your point, how is their roster? Well, they have a lot of familiar names, guys that have been there in past seasons. Names that ECHL fans will recognize. Justin Vive is a big one. Louis Caparuso. Lincoln Griffin, Zach Andrusiak. So coming into this season, when I looked at Cincinnati, I thought, well, you know, they're going to be what they usually are. They're going to be a third, fourth place team. They've got some talent, but they're probably not going to compete with Toledo and Fort Wayne. That was my thinking at the time, but I was really wrong. Jason Payne has elevated their play to a a whole other level. Uh, He's gotten the most out of some players. Andrusiak's a great example. He's gone from really a solid second line player to a a really quality top line player, Jalen Smerick, a guy that had been overseas last year. He's one of the best defensemen in the league this year. And the goaltending that he has gotten out of Beck Warm and Mark Sinclair has been really good. So Jason Payne's doing a really good job. He's my number three. Next, we've got Brendan Kotick of the South Carolina Stingrays. Why is he number two on your ballot? Well, South Carolina, we're going to talk a lot about South Carolina today. They have been terrific lately. They may have single-handedly made a statement last week that the South could be the the best division in the league. We'll talk about that. But Brendan Kotick is a a young coach. He's only 31 years old. He was playing a couple years ago uh, for the Toledo Walleye. He's got some experience as an assistant. He took over late last year with the Stingrays. And, um, you know, they are a really fast team. They're a really well-structured team that doesn't make a lot of mistakes. They've got some physicality. They've played a very difficult schedule. And if you look deeply into the numbers, they're top five in both offense and defense, and they have the league's best power play. So that, those are a lot of boxes to check if you're looking at a team that's going to be dangerous in the playoffs. They've done a really good job developing prospects for the Uh, Washington Capitals and Hershey Bears. Clay Stevenson is the one in gold that really jumps out at me, but they've got a deep roster of guys 
who have uh, AHL level talent. So I really like what Brendan Kodak's doing. He's a guy to keep an eye on because I could see him moving up rapidly in his coaching career. Kodak Payne, number two and three. Number one, Everett Sheen of the Idaho Steelheads. Why yeah. does he win the equivalent of the Jack Adams for the E? I mean, this is kind of a no-brainer. Like, you, whatever box you want to check when you're looking at Coach of the Year, he's going to check it. The Steelheads, easily the best team in the league this year. Um, they missed the playoffs last year, and all they've done this year is go 53-10-3 and and clinch the regular season title with three weeks remaining in the regular season. They have a 41-point lead in the division. And it's not the strongest division, but I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's a, a cupcake division. There are quality teams. And what I really like is even, you know, let's say a month and a half ago when it was pretty clear that Idaho was going to run away with this thing, they have continued to play really good hockey. And, I mean, they just dominate every facet of the game. They have the number one defense, which is the big part of their play. They've got the number one offense. They've developed a lot of talent for the Dallas Stars and Texas Stars. Guys like Adam Scheel, Owen Hedrick, Remy Poirier, Ryan Domowski, Jordan Kawaguchi. I mean, they just, they're just stacked from top to bottom. But these are all players that have improved. Guys like Owen Hedrick, that's a rookie. So it's not like we knew coming in, hey, Idaho was stacked. No, they were a question mark, and they have really just delivered in every facet. So uh, Everett done a great job. He's got the uh, the team that's the favorite to win the Kelly Club, and I think he deserves Coach of the Year. All right. Our first award in the books. Hey, l- let's get into the team of the week, South Carolina Stingrays, while we're at it. Yeah, so uh, you know it's a great opportunity to segue into them. And as I referenced last week, I mean, I, I-, I hate – using this uh, this cliche that a lot of people use that, you know, this was a statement win, but they had three big statement wins last week. I mean, I, so I'm sitting in Kalamazoo covering a game on Friday and my phone is absolutely blowing up from people around the league saying, look at what South Carolina is doing to Cincinnati right now. So as we said, Cincinnati atop what we thought was the toughest division in the league, South Carolina goes in there, wins 11 to nothing in hostile territory on Friday. Then they go to Fort Wayne on Saturday. Fort Wayne, this was a pretty big game for them. They need to um, you know, get some momentum. They were looking to clinch a playoff spot. And South Carolina, with a different goaltender than the night before, beats Fort Wayne 3 to nothing. Then South Carolina goes to Toledo. So this is truly a gauntlet there. And they win 4 to 1 there. So they took out on their home ice, the two hottest teams in the league, Cincinnati and Toledo. Big statement from South Carolina. And the Stingrays were missing a slew of guys to injuries and call-ups. But let's talk about a few guys that are impressing me with them. Goaltender Tyler Wall, he is on a Hershey Bears AHL contract. He had the 17-save shutout on Friday against Cincinnati. Wasn't tested a lot, but for the season, he is now 19-10-1 with a 268 goals against and a 908 save percentage with two shutouts. Really good numbers, but he may only be the second best goalie that they have because they have Capitals prospect Clay Stevenson. He stopped 24 shots, including a couple breakaways at Fort Wayne on Saturday. So he looked really good. Both of them have some size. They're both about 6'4". Both of them clearly have talent to uh, play at the next level. I don't expect Clay Stevenson to be back in the ECHL next year. Um, You look at their skaters, Josh Wilkins. He's probably the scariest one in the lineup full of offensive stars. 
He's got 20 goals and 59 points. Bear Hughes, great name, player I really like. Uh, we'll talk about him a little bit more later in the show, but he's a multifaceted uh, AHL caliber forward. Anthony Delgazzo, he was called up this week to Hershey. One thing I liked about him last weekend is he's going to score. He's got 17 goals and 48 points, but he is tough. He fought a pretty tough customer at Tristan Peltier last weekend. Uh, another player to mention, Max Hummets. He had been with Kalamazoo, so he's gotten a reprieve in now going to South Carolina. He's going from no playoffs to the playoffs. He is an opportunistic scorer. He's got 20 goals this season. Uh, he's looked really good. And so South Carolina, that roster is so good that there are players that uh, most teams would be stars, and it's like we barely even mention them. Andrew Chernichin's one, Chaz Redekop's another. So South Carolina, look out. They haven't locked up that division yet, but right now they might be trending towards being the favorite, perhaps along with Newfoundland in the Eastern Conference. Wow. Newfoundland's like – Newfoundland is like the Patriots of the NFL for the <laughs> ECHL is the vibe I get. Well, Big I mean, time. they've been so consistently good since they've come into the league that I do yeah, think – It's not just that they're good. It's that they've got – more resources than everyone. Well, we, we take them for why granted. Why they hate them. Well, and they've got a big advantage. I mean, yeah, you know, look, sure. the, the travel is an advantage. And you look at some of the scheduling and you're like, wow, Norfolk is going up to Newfoundland for three games. Norfolk's obviously not very good, but you deal with the travel, you deal with the time change, you yeah. deal with a, a particular brand of hockey. There are a lot of elements that you have to deal with with playing them. But, you know, Newfoundland's obviously very good. And, you know, they've succeeded in the playoffs, and I would expect them to be a factor again this year. Let's get back to the awards. I was having fun. You got to ruin it with your your team of the week, Ben. Um, <laughs> like, what do you – all right. Back to awards. Uh, rookie of the year. You mentioned him just a couple of minutes ago. Let's get into him and not just his unreal name, but Bear Hughes, number three on Justin Cohn's rookie of the year ballot. Well, first, you know, let me ask you, uh, you know, rookie of the year, that can be a little dicey when you get to this – Yeah. Because, it becomes a whole debate of like, who's the best, like, is it, are you going to be, there's two sides. Are you going to be a stickler for any first year player? Or are you going to say, well, this guy's 18 doing X and that guy's 24 doing Y. I, I would say I'm more on the end, kind of split, but I would say that I have more recognition for the younger player. That's like at a close level. What do you, what about you? Well, so first of all, we, we got lucky this year because, in my opinion, most of the, the leading candidates really fit all the criteria that you would like. They're young. Um, they don't have a lot of experience in, in well, other what's leagues. The, what's the limit in ECHL for the Rookie of the Year? 26? There isn't. I mean, you, you could be 40. So Ian White <laughs> could win, like, the Rookie of the Year? To my knowledge, there is no limit. And the, the interesting thing is this. If you played pro games, they'll count that. But for there, sure. Okay, but they don't even count all pro leagues. So if you go play in yeah, but in I don't England, think give it to a thirty-year-old. I'm telling you, I, I don't think they would give it to them. Right, but, but you can't dictate the eligibility. Okay, so I'm going to now struggle to think of cer certain leagues. I believe Slovakia would be a good example. For whatever reason, that does not count as the major tier pro leagues that they recognize as being pro hockey. Whereas so theoretically, if you, played, you could go play to Slovakia for like 150 games and it wouldn't count towards the, the limit. Correct. I have seen players who are eligible for so many different words, it doesn't make any sense. But yeah, if you went, let's just say from juniors to you go bounce around in Poland for a couple years and then you land in the ECHL. Okay. And Fort Wayne has had some players who do that. So Poland does not count. 
So now yeah. you're now you're 27 and you've been playing pro hockey for three, four years. You could absolutely, if you fit certain criteria, count as a rookie in the ECHL. So that's one problem. None of the guys I've chosen would would factor into that. Right. Co- college hockey to me is the big problem. So if you go play major junior, then you go play at the University of New Brunswick for four years. Yeah. You win four championships. Now you come to the ECHL. You're 27, 28 years old. You are a rookie. Okay. Right. Fort Wayne had a bunch of these guys in 2021 who came from UNB to the pros. They all counted as rookies. But I'm looking at these guys. I'm like, one's married. <laughs> You know, kid on the way, you know, he's been bounced around for years. They've already put a, an A on his uniform. It's like, really? He's a rookie? But, you know, I'm going with the criteria they give me. But all these guys I pick are pretty young. Um, number three, Bear Hughes, South Carolina Stingrays. I didn't pick him just because he's got an awesome name, and it is an awesome name. He is on an AHL contract with the Hershey Bears. He has been a huge part of the way the Stingrays, excuse me, have steamrolled competition this year. Hughes has 23 goals and 58 points. That's second on the roster to only Josh Wilkins. He is plus 21. Okay. At six foot two, he's definitely got some size to match his skill. He's got five goals and 15 points in the last 18 games. So we talked about South Carolina is putting a big push on late in the season. Bear Hughes has been a huge part of that. Number two, a player you know I like. We've talked about him a bunch on the show, Owen Hedrick of the Iowa Steelheads. He is on a Texas Stars AHL contract. He has 14 goals and 37 points in 51 games. He is ninth amongst all rookies in points. Remember, he's a defenseman. Uh, He is tied for the league scoring league amongst all blue liners, regardless of age. So all defensemen, doesn't matter if you're a rookie or not. Owen Hedrick, a rookie, is leading you. He is tied with Matt Register, who's one of the greatest scorers in, uh, amongst defensemen in league history, uh, and uh, also with Cole McDonald. Uh, but Hedrick has outpaced them in points because he has played eight fewer games. Uh, Hedrick is on the league's best defensive team, so he has had a lot of help. But check this out. He is a plus 35 uh, as a rookie defenseman. So that's a big But reason. what's his team's plus minus? That's my question. I don't think that plus minus is necessarily bad all the time. I think what I would evaluate is like, okay, what's their plus minus differential relative to their team? It's like with the Carolina Hurricanes right now. They are a Corsi juggernaut, right? I'm not going to go judge a guy off their Corsi because the whole team is like that. So for me, it's like for plus minus, like is his team on a heater or are they like kind of average? Because then in that case, if they're just kind of, average and he's putting elite numbers that's really impressive in my opinion yeah no they're definitely not average as i said they lead the league in in offense and defense and they're shutting out teams every week so totally fair point and i don't usually look at plus minus too much but i'm sorry i don't care how you cut it a rookie at plus 35 is still but but i didn't have a number one so i did i did i did hedge it because i really did think long and hard he might be number one but he's not. Number one, I went with Allen Americans forward Hank Crone. Uh, I don't want to talk too much about him right now because we're going to get in, into him later. Uh, but he is the most elite of all the rookie forwards. And to me, when you when we talk about his numbers, you'll see why uh, he's my choice for rookie of the year. Okay, a little teaser. I like it. Yes. Um, all right. So defenseman of the year. 
every time there's the whole Norris conversation where if you remember the infamous Carlson versus Doughty, which was almost like a philosophy, like a philosophy session or, you know, summit from the whole hockey world. You had one side that was like, I want the meat and potatoes defenseman. The other is I appreciate the offense and where no one's really recognizing who was a better player that year. Defenseman of the year. Are you someone that values all around game or best offensive defenseman? Like what's your defenseman of the year criteria? I don't even think we should call it defenseman of the year anymore. If that tells you anything, we should change the name because these awards in the minor leagues have rapidly become less about defense. than I agree. Actually points, you know, I agree. Let's call it blue liner of the year, or let's split the awards into offensive defenseman and defensive defenseman, even though that's a misnomer to me. So to answer your question, cool though, (laughs) to answer your question, I do. I try to evaluate all. I do not just look at the points. I have seen way too many defensemen through the years in my career win best defensemen when they are defensive liability. I have seen it so many times. Here's the question. Not to get too nitpicky, but is it best defenseman, like the best defender, or just the best player that plays defense? Uh, I, I, I guess I guess that's the same argument to me. I mean, you're getting into semantics. But, no, I'm just but... saying, like, you're saying that it shouldn't be, like, for example, Eric Carlson isn't great defensively, but he's a right. magnificent offensively. Right. Would you qualify him as the best defenseman? It's like, you could make an argument either way. I wonder if in the ECHL, it's kind of like that as well. I don't know. Well, well I think that the whole problem here is, I mean, it, it's stupid, but the name of the position has become a misnomer, right? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, you've got guys who are defensemen, and they're <laughs> they're sitting at the offensive blue line. They're rocketing uh, you know, 200 shots a season, and they don't care anything about their own end. What they care about is playing the point on the power play. But we call them defensemen. So I do think you and I are almost kind of saying the whole thing, the same thing. I think so too, actually. But, you know. <laughs> Is the pond me rethinking? I'm like, that was the same thing. Okay. Every, every time I write a story and I have to delineate, you know, offensive defensemen, you know, like it's yeah. just, it, it gets mind numbing. But as I choose these awards, I do not look solely at stats. I try to look beyond that but it's not easy at this level you know it's not like an nhl game where you can say well moritz cider he's really good defensively i recognize that everybody sees that at this level we don't have the metrics we don't have the stats you have to queue up film you have to just kind of see it to know what you're talking and about. the film has to be it's a bank on it being good quality right so the way i choose this is of course you have to look at the stats so i definitely look at the stats but if i see that you're this this leading scoring defenseman but you are minus 35 it's going to stop me in my tracks to then wonder okay well is this guy really well-rounded or not so maybe that's the best way to put it i try to pick a well-rounded defenseman but obviously he's going to put up a lot of points because that's what registers on the score sheets and and we see that type of thing so my number three so wait but let me ask so in summary you would say is to be on justin cohen's ballot you've got to have you've got to be like still an a offensive player just by like would that be fair to say? You're probably going to be top 10 amongst league defensemen in scoring. And you're not, fair. you're not going to be a defensive liability. That would be okay. my criteria. If you are a defensive liability, totally, I'm taking you out of the mix. I don't care if you lead the league in scoring. For this particular award, you cannot, in my opinion, be considered the league's best defenseman or the defenseman of the year if you're a defensive liability. That's my personal criteria. I don't disagree with you. Okay, so number three is Connor Moore of the South Carolina Stingrays. 
In 56 games, he's got six goals and 35 points. Now, people who have watched the Stingrays, you may sit there and say, well, hang on, I'm not even 100% convinced he's the best defenseman on your on that team because they have a guy by the name of Michael Kim. But to your point, I wanted to see who was reliable at both ends. And for me, it's very clearly Moore. Uh, Moore is stronger defensively. He's uh, got a plus 27, which dwarfs Kim's. Uh, Moore is only five foot 11. So he's not a, a particularly physical guy that's going to like, you know, dominate you. He's going to crush you with checks when you're coming into the zone. But what he is going to be is he's going to use his skating and his smarts and he's going to be really reliable at both ends. Now, of course, yeah, he's going to do the stuff on the power play, all the things that we expect. But in his own zone, he's perfectly good. He's better than most. And so he was not a defensive liability. And it was good enough for me to say, hey, he's number three. I know that's not a rigging endorsement there. He was good enough. But I didn't explain it well. He's very good defensively. But when I compare him to some other guys, it's like, okay, I see it with him. He's not just one-dimensional. He's doing it at both ends. Number two, Owen Hedrick. Owen Hedrick. We've talked about him. So he's uh, go back to our rookie of the year if you missed him. Number one. Over the last five episodes. Right. (laughs) Number one, the Greenville Swamp Rabbits have a a man by the name of Max Martin. Winnipeg native. Somebody you uh, you, you, know know a little bit, right? I know him a little bit. Yeah, it's funny. He's my age. He's, I know his girlfriend. I know him personally. And our, one of my, like my best friend and him played hockey all these years together. I actually remember texting him like when I was, when he was in the dub, like asking for like people's interviews, which like, he did, but like now I think about it, it's like pretty disrespectful that I did that. But yeah, I know him a little bit. So, I, uh, what's your reaction? Were you like, "Wow, that makes sense," or hmm, I don't remember him being a very good defensive player? Any oh, reaction? sorry, my reaction to him being your defense of the year. Yeah, I'm not surprised. I mean, he grew up as like the best defenseman his age, and like, and I'm talking like better was highly regarded more than people that like you know. For a while, like I think he was high regarded than Cody Glass, or just in in circles and whatnot. He was really talented. I think he, the junior, could be wrong. I think he had surgery or or two surgeries on his shoulder or something pretty serious. So that definitely affected his ability to you know get an NHL deal or whatever. Signed with he still signed with Texas, right or no? Uh, hmm, that I don't remember offhand to be honest with you. But yeah, that's my yeah impromptu four and one on him. Well, I mean, real quick, one interesting thing about this is, you know, in the NHL, I think if you collected everybody's ballots, they'd look kind of similar. But at this level, you know, you could get 100 people. Oh, yeah, sure. And they'd all be different. So totally. uh, anyway, so Max Martin, he's got 14 goals. Um, he's second on the Swap Rabbits uh, entire roster in points. He's got 49 points in 62 games. Only Alex Iarulo, a forward, is ahead of him. Martin is a plus 19. He is efficient at both ends of the ice. He's just 23. Uh, he has definitely got AHL capabilities. He's played, this may answer your question, uh, he is not on a contract right now. He has played 22 games in the AHL, though. Uh, none this season. He's 6 feet, 181. And again, like you said, he's doing a lot of things he was doing in the Western Hockey League. And we actually have a clip of him that we would like to show. And before we show up, uh, some of the clips are from Flow Hockey. They are from the individual team's uh, Twitter pages. So thank you to Flow Hockey and the ECHL. That's where these clips come from. Max Bar starts forward. Three on one for the Rabbits. Kemp down the wing. Nick Manis skips off for Kemp. It deflects off a defender. Back side. Martin shoots. Scores! 
Rex Martin puts the Rabbits in the lead with 6.27 to go in the third period. It's 4-3. to three. They've come all the way back. So one of the things I like about him is he, he has that understanding of when to attack. And we see it there. He, he knows when to attack, when to pinch in. That's at Toledo last weekend. Uh, he has a knack for understanding the big moments. If you actually look up any of his, his clips, you see a lot of big-time goals in big-time moments. And as I said, really good defensively as well. I'm good with it. I know what an award winner. It's pretty cool. Um, so one more question about defenseman of the year I wanted to get to very quickly. If you're voting on defensive of the year, do you believe block shots has value? Oh, 100%. I mean, I wish that was a stat that I had easy access to. They have, uh, they have time on ice as well. You know, it's just we don't necessarily have the infrastructure to find out some of these metrics. But, you know, there's a guy in Fort Wayne, Marcus McIver. I mean, he plays huge minutes, probably, you know, 25, maybe more minutes. But no way uh, no way to know exactly uh, what he's doing. But, yes, block shots. Um I would love that too. All right, let's get the goaltender of the year. So this is going to be interesting because I'm curious what your criteria is in the sense of are you best goaltender, like an ability, best for the longest amount of time? What's your sort of game? Well, you know, the the one hitch with picking goaltender of the year is some of these guys are not going to uh, play a, a ton of games in this league, you know. So a guy like John Leatherman isn't here right now. He played, you know, I don't know what, it's 20, 25 games. His stats were amazing, but do we count him or not? So that's the biggest thing. But I'm looking for a full body of work here, and so that's how I picked the guys that I picked. Uh, at number three, a guy that we've talked about before, Sebastian Kosa of the Toledo Walleye. Uh, he's a Detroit Red Wings prospect. People were pretty down on Kosa for a while. Crazy to me. The dude's 20 years old, and nothing I have seen has led me to say, and this is as a Detroiter, this is not the Detroit Red Wings goalie of the future. I've seen enough to say, hey, he's on the right path. Even when he was competing with Leatherman, who was also incredible, um, you know, Kosa was was looking good. You know, he had some things to shore up. He's still working on shoring up things like the rebounds and whatnot. But he has played 2,503 minutes this season. That is third most in the league for a young guy. He's 25-13-3 and with a 252 goals against, a 913 save percentage, and four shutouts for a team that's going to be a major factor in the playoffs. Number two, I went with Cam Johnson of the Florida Everblades. He helped them to the Kelly Cup last season, and he has not disappointed this year. He's in the ECHL's toughest division, the South, and he is 25-17-7 with a 2.81 goals against and a 909 save percentage with two shutouts. Now, Florida is probably going to be the fourth seed in that division, but they are an awfully dangerous team if you think about it, with goaltending being so big in the playoffs and Johnson being the number one. He is on a Charlotte AHL contract. So, um, you know, again, he's looked very good. He has lived up to the hype this year. And at number one, we'll just roll through this, Adam Scheel of the aforementioned Idaho Steelheads. Now, earlier this season, I thought Idaho's Remy Poirier might end up uh, winning this award, but over time, and we look at the body of work, Shield is the guy that has really stood out. He is a Dallas Stars prospect, and uh, he has flourished as he's gotten some more playing time. He hasn't played the minutes that some other guys have gone, but he's 26-7-1. and He's second in the league in wins. He's got a 2-0-2 goals against. So that's second in the league. 
and he leads the league with a 930 save percentage and leads the league with five shutouts. So again, they've got a really good defense. They got all those plus minus things you were talking about. Um, I don't care. 930 save percentage. I don't care who you are. That's enough for me. He has been playing at an elite level. And uh, I think we do have one real quick uh, clip of Shield that we can show you. It's set up at all. They've had a few shots off the rush. Here's a blast from Sambrook. Oh, my goodness. What a stop by Adam Shield to keep it a 5-0 lead for the Steelheads. That was crazy. How in the world did that stay out of the net? Wow, he looked like a shortstop there. At Look at this drive. replay. Unbelievable. I haven't seen very Ground, many standing rounder. ovations for a save in my life. Watch this. Just look at that. Wow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That's a sick save. Yeah, so for people who couldn't see it, he just kind of dove backwards blindly to glove a shot uh, towards an open net. So really good stuff from him as well. That was like the craziest thing I've ever seen. Oh, my God. Like that, was, that was amazing. Um, let's get to – well, let's get to our – Sorry, I honestly just deleted the page by accident off my laptop. MVP, baby. MVP. MVP. There we go. Okay, there we go. All right. Well, technical we'll, issues. Let's yeah. get through it. All right. Let's start with number three, Justin. All right. Number three is Charlie Gerard of the Reading Royals. We have not talked a lot about the North Division. Here's your chance. Yes, he has had some help this year. Max Newton is on that roster. Uh, he's got 30 goals. But Gerard, who is on an AHL contract with Lehigh Valley, he is the straw that stirs this drink. He's got 31 goals and 71 points in 56 games. He does a lot of work on the, on the power play, but unlike a lot of the leading scorers, he doesn't mop up a ton of points there. He's got 16 points on the power play. He is solid defensively. He's plus 17. He sees time on the PK. He's got five game-winning goals. He shoots a ton, 279 times this year. He does take some penalties. He is 27 years old. This has been his best season. I think he deserves another good long look in the AHL. So Charlie Gerard, Reading Royals is number three for me. Brandon Hawkins, Hawk, as uh, Pete MacArthur said. Yes, Brandon Hawkins, the hammer, we also call him. Uh, he, I, I don't know why he's still in the AHL, or still in the ECHL, not the AHL. Get that question a lot. Can't give you a great answer. Yes, he is a bit of a, a specialist, excuse me specializing in hard shots and making waves on the power play, but don't undersell how much of an impact he has. He'll get chippy. He's pretty good defensively. And he takes up so much of opposing teams games plans that you have to account for him all the time. He's got 37 goals and 76 points in 62 games. He's plus 18 and on the power plays, 13 goals and 22 assists. And check this out. He's got seven, game-winning goals for the walleye. So Brandon Hawkins doing his thing that he has been doing for the last three years and doing it well. Number one. All right, here's MVP. MVP. Yes. MVP. <laughs> My MVP here, we get to Hank Crone of the Allen Americans. You cannot argue with his numbers. He leads the league in goals with 42 and points with 92. Now, he does have a lot of help. Jack Combs, Colton Hargrove, these are two of the elite scorers in the league, but Crone is the most pivotal of them. Uh, he is just a rookie. He has been deadly on the power play with 14 goals and 34 points. He has had an eight-game goal-scoring streak in February, which is when Allen really turned its season around, and he's got five game-winning goals. 
I think Allen's going to make the playoffs. They're going to be a team that nobody wants to face. And let's show you one quick, quick, quick clip of uh, Hank Crone. Over the line. Leopard still with it. Trying to get it across. Here's Crone. Far circle. Shot scores! And Hank Crone answers. And the Americans are back to within one. It's three to so, you know, one thing about Hank Crone is you always got to be ready because you don't know when he's going to shoot and where he's going to shoot from. But again, a lot of talented players, but he's the glue that gets that whole team together. Without him, they are not in the playoff conversation, but they are. That's why he's my MVP. I think game-winning goals is an awesome stat for MVP. I think if you're ahead in it, it definitely helps because you could get really technical and be like, well, these guys won you X amount of games. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I'm I'm all in for that. Yeah, you, you got to have a knack for the moment. And I like those players that do. Absolutely. All right, let's get to our under-the-radar prospects. What does that exactly mean? Well, I wanted to pick out some guys. You know, a lot of the show is supposed to be about guys that are prospects for the next level, AHL or NHL. I wanted to pick out a few of those who have done really well that I thought about maybe for some awards, players that I just don't think are getting talked about enough. So we'll go through this pretty quickly. At number three, Patrick Kudla. Again, Idaho Steelheads. Why do I like him? Because they've got so many big names. Guys we've talked about. Hedrick, Shield, Matt Register. But Kudla doesn't get talked about enough because he plays on a great defensive team with other high-scoring defensemen. So he is a blue liner. Um, he has eight goals and 48 points in 53 games. He is sixth amongst league defensemen in points and third in assists. But again, he's behind a bunch of guys on his own roster, so he doesn't get noticed as much. He's 27 years old, so he's trending a little bit older for this particular conversation, but he was overseas for a while. He's got AHL experience. I fully expect him to be in AHL camp next year. Number two, Cincinnati Cyclones goaltender Beck Warm. Okay, he's been exceptionally good. We haven't talked about him quite as much as some of these other guys like Cam Johnson or Sebastian Cosa. But this has been a breakout season for him. He's on an AHL contract with Rochester. We talked about Cincinnati, probably going to win the division title. Warm is 27 7 and 6, 294 goals against. His 899 save percentage, I don't love it, but I've seen them play a lot. They are not a great defensive team at times, and he has covered up for some deficiencies. He does have a shutout. Um, he was inconsistent a little bit, but over the last two months, he has looked great. He has proved he's a number one goalie at this level. He's got 17 AHL games under his belt, and I think he's deserving of more. And number one, the under-the-radar prospect I think people need to be paying attention to more is Liam Finley of the Allen Americans. Sort of like Patrick Kudla, he is overshadowed by Hargrove, Combs, and Crone with Allen, uh, but uh, Finley has quietly if you could say this, quietly netted 31 goals with 68 points. And check this out. You like your game-winning goals? Liam Finley has seven of them. And he is a rookie playing with some monster players. So really like what he's doing. And I wanted to throw one other player at you because we always like to have a prospect of the week, right? So I will sure give do. you one. Cameron Wright of the okay. Utah Grizzlies. He is also an under-the-radar prospect. He is on an AHL contract with the Colorado Eagles. Cam Wright is a rookie. He leads the Grizzlies in scoring with 55 points and 24 goals. You're going to ask, well, how could a leading scorer of a team be under the radar? Utah isn't the best. 
They've been a little inconsistent, but he is a guy that I really like. Um, how is he not on the rookie of the year list, though, you may be wondering? And that's because he's still got some work to do. His defense needs to improve a little bit. Uh, he's gotten into some penalty trouble. He is a minus eight, but on the positive, and why I like him, he is a pure playmaker. He's got six goals and 18 points on power plays. Uh, he will get dirty. He will mix it up. He's got 124 penalty minutes. So as long as he ramps in that aggressiveness and does it well, then uh, I think he's a player that uh, has a lot of potential. And uh, he was a college player, just so we know, at Bowling Green. He played for Denver last year when they won the national championship. He had 23 goals, 34 points, and 41 games for Denver. So I think he's one of those players that's kind of finding himself after leaving college for the pros, what kind of trouble can I get into when it comes to dropping the gloves or being a little bit aggressive, doing things? Oh, you like, meant off the ice? No, 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 no. But sometimes, you know, a, a player who's like, "Boy, I, I want to be a physical player. I can't do it in college." They get to the pros and they're like, "Finally, yeah. I can do those things." And sometimes it gets them into trouble. So when he finds that happy medium of physicality and speed, I think he's really going to be one to watch. He is at the front end of a lot of odd man rushes. Uh, he has not had much help with the Grizzlies when it comes to goal scoring. They have a player named Taron Pfizer. He has 25 goals, but without uh, Cameron Wright, I don't know where the Grizzlies would be. So he's been a player to watch, and I really like him. Wow. Give yourself a pat on the back. That's the first ever award show for the Hockey News on the E podcast. We'll see, if, and we'll see if any of these guys end up winning the actual awards. I'm well, guessing I'll probably pre be pretty far off based on your past, criteria based on past experience and what I know other voters like, but uh, the, hey. the MVP vote is going to be really interesting. See if Hank Crone gets, uh, gets the acknowledgement. I think he should. Well, we know who this guy's going to vote for. All right. Well, everyone listening and watching, thank you so much. We'll see you next week for our last regular season episode, I guess. All righty. All right. Take care until next time.